are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> hey folks, Justin here. First of all, I'd just like to apologize for the delay on the release of this episode. To say the least, it's been a pretty shitty month, so please bear with me. Well, if you heard that creepy little voice at the beginning of the episode here, then you're now aware that we've joined the Slash and Cast Podcast Network, which is a collection of creepy individuals and like-minded folks who have banded together to cross-promote each other's shit, so it's really cool to be a part of it. And you can listen and check out the, all these other great shows at Slash and Cast network now nick and i were extremely giddy for this episode to say the least i mean it's i'm sure every child of the 90s and fan of goosebumps would be mr tim jacobus who is the mastermind behind all the amazing covers that have graced goosebumps over the years i mean you can just name them right you can probably see your favorites in your head as you think about it it was just really cool to get to talk to the guy who who helped supply the visualization to some of your childhood horrors and that style is so striking like there's there's nothing else like it as i'm sure you all agree anyway i'm gonna shut up now and uh enjoy the episode also shameless plug if you're listening to this and you feel so inclined please leave us a review it helps people find us and makes everybody feel nice and warm inside and it's just cool all right here you go i'm shutting up boom Sanctuary of the Strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Tim, let's break the ice. Take us back in time. You're a youngster. What were you into? Were you always an artist? Did you paint a lot? Did you make models? Were you into movies? Did you read comics? What's the scoop, man? So back when I was growing up, we were into comic books. The kid who lived next door to me had two older brothers, but we didn't get into it. It wasn't a lot of uh, the superhero stuff. It was mostly the army based stuff like Sergeant Rock and that kind of stuff. So that was where, you know, we started to see panel art. And this guy who lived next door to me was a good artist as well. So we just gravitated to each other and started to do the art thing way early on, never thinking of it as a thing. It was just something that we did for fun. And coincidentally enough, we 
continued through middle school, high school. We went to the same art school together and he is still in the business. He, he beard off and got into doing television commercials and, and uh, him and a, a, another writer do a lot of work on TV. I went the illustration. So let me ask you this. Were you a horror fan at all? Maybe science fiction, anything like that? What were you into genre wise? So no, I was a big chicken when I was growing. If I was the proper age for goosebumps or maybe on the younger side of the goosebumps phenomena, I may have missed the whole thing because I would have been too scared. So I've grown into this position and, and the horror genre where I was totally, totally taken back by the whole thing. So yeah, I was a, a latecomer. Maybe there's something to that fact that because I had a little bit of that fear in me that that helped me take the edge off the goosebump stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim, Nick, and I were just discussing this before you jumped into the meeting here. So it's a question we both have just to get it out of the way. Did you ever send in a cover to Scholastic that was a bit too racy where they told you to reel it back in? They're like, hey, man, you need to chill out. This is for kids, remember? No, surprisingly, no. Now that they gave me a lot of free reign, the style that RL wrote in always had an element of humor in there. So every time you started to go down something that may have been a little bit dark, you got drawn back by, you know, some humor element. So I always tried to make reflect that in the artwork itself. That wasn't as evident right at the beginning, because the first book that we did was Welcome to Dead House. And that one, probably out of all the Goosebumps books, at least by my my take, there you go, uh, was the darkest. That was really a more traditional horror stuff. And then it wasn't but a couple books later and we're doing Say Cheese and Die. And that's when, that's when it hit me and I went, oh, I get it. This is what we're doing here. This is going to be fun. So, yeah, I was uh, a couple of books in before I really started to get what he was trying to convey to everybody. That's interesting because, yeah, the the, the cover to Welcome to Dead House does seem different than the rest. Like it, it's, it is very moody. There, there is no humor in it whatsoever. Absolutely. So that's that's yeah. a great perspective on it. Tell us a bit more about that relationship with RL yourself and Scholastic Tim. Now, initially, were you brought in for the long haul or did it evolve into that over time as they enjoyed your work and you guys sort of build up a working relationship? I had been working with Scholastic for a couple of years and not on any series work, but one-offs. Give me a book, I do it. And I had proven myself to be responsible and reliable. And my work was consistent. When Goosebumps came along, I was just finishing up something. So I was kind of standing in the right place at the right time. So they thought that I might be a good fit. But again, rolling back the story, Goosebumps, the idea behind it at the beginning, no one was really sure what was going to happen. And it was only going to be, I think, four books or six books. So it wasn't like this big thing. It wasn't like, oh, you just won the lottery, you're getting to do these covers. Actually, the way it was phrased to me was, we're not really sure about this. We're not even going to, we we would like to pay you a little bit less on these covers. And if this thing doesn't take off, we promise we'll move you on to something else that works out for you. So as soon as I saw what was going on, I saw that it was going to be fun. So the pay cut didn't mean anything. And it wasn't like a drastic pay cut. It was just, you know, we don't have a lot of money behind this thing yet. Right. And 
So when I got chosen to do it again, not a big deal. And it just was one of those things that slowly gained momentum. You guys, you know, you got to remember this is all pre-internet, pre-social media. So the only way that the word got around was simply by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you guys just started to tell each other, hey, these are cool. Hey, these are cool. And with the Scholastic Book Club, you know, getting those books to your schools, that's really what uh, that, that got us rolling. How did you get into Scholastic? Because I, I was looking at your uh, sort of your bibliography on the uh, speculative fiction database on the internet, and it looks like before you got into Scholastic, you did a lot of work for just sort of adult sci-fi and fantasy covers in the 80s, which which I, I really love. I love that aesthetic. But how did you transition from that to Scholastic? At the beginning, at the very beginning, myself and my ex-wife were, you know, running around, knocking on doors, getting the work. And we were able to land those first few sci-fi and fantasy style things. Once I got a couple of pieces into my portfolio, and again, this is over a course of a couple of years, I had enough pieces where I went and art directors were constantly telling me it's really you should really find somebody to represent you because you're spending too much time on the streets here knocking on doors and you know you need to be home working and somebody else should be getting work anyway i got a rep he had a good in with scholastic and just looking at my style he was the one that's suggested i start doing what was referred to as ya books young adult books right and the young adult stuff has you know uh, a wide range of stuff so i wasn't doing the nancy drew style but all of them some of them had a science fiction fantasy element to them some of them had light horror to it some of them you know just lent themselves but you it was always that dominant figure in the uh, illustration itself uh, was always the the kid or the hero or the heroine and you built the illustration around that so i did a, a quite a number of the young adult books early on with scholastic and with a couple of other publishers as well so that was that that was the leverage that you know put me yeah. on the bench when Goosebumps <laughs> came along. And then, you know, as far as your style goes, like looking at those early science fiction and fantasy books, there's, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say generic because like, you know, you can see parts of your style in it, but it, it does seem to flow more into that adult 70s, 80s paperback uh, style. What's on Goosebumps covers, is that your style or is that something that developed with the Goosebumps line? Yeah, that was something that definitely evolved as as Goosebumps went along. So we we talked a little bit about Welcome to Dead House and Welcome to Dead House looked like another series that I worked on for Scholastic and they were called Women in Jeopardy. And it was always, you know, the the mom who was going to solve the crime, you know, in her spare time. And uh, we did a lot of buildings, you know, and all of them had a, you know, there was a formula to it where it was always that low worm's eye view looking up at the building. The building was distinct to the story. And then there was always something in the foreground in the gutter, you know, a shoe, a cigarette, uh, something. So yeah, this, these, I, so I started to play with the perspective on those and that was a key element to go, okay, this works pretty good. And we started to leverage a little bit of the saturated color in those books as well. So by the time I got to Goosebumps, then it was like, so I did book number one, Welcome to Dead House, and another illustrator did Stay Out of the Basement. And when you see those two pieces of artwork side by side, 
stay out of the basement is way more. There you go. It's more of the muted colors, more of that, you know, uh, adult genre of color. And when I got chosen to move forward, I was told that one of the reasons why I got chosen was my use of color. So when you hear that, then you lean into that. So as we moved forward, the colors got a little bit more saturated. Yeah. Monster blood. It's very, very green, very gross. Exactly. But then, but the, the real key to that piece is in those areas that would normally be shadow and black, I'm loading that up with purples and blues. So you make sure that you take not only is your lit area have nice color, but you also fill those shadow areas with as much saturated color as you can. That's fascinating. Thank you. I just want to say, Tim, this is something Nick and I were also talking about just before you jumped on here. The cover is the most important aspect of the book, at least to us. You know, it's it's just like a movie. It's like a comic. It's album art. The only reason we're ever picking this shit up in the first place is because the cover looks cool. It's the reason you pick the book up and read the back, you know. So when you're diving into these paintings or these illustrations you're working on, do you have access to the story? Do you have a concept? It's different with everybody, you know, depending on what author you're working with. In the Goosebumps books, it was rare. Usually there is something. It may not be a complete book, but there's something pretty much complete. Goosebumps wasn't like that. RL just cranks these things out and he was writing them at the same time I was doing the cover. So early on, he was a little bit farther ahead and maybe I would get a chapter. But as we started to roll through this thing and it really picked up speed, I got less and less and less till it was, you know, a paragraph or just two sentences, sometimes one sentence. But I I kind of liked that better because it opened up the whole thing to me. You know, like I wasn't restricted by any specific detail or element or angle or some any descriptive thing that was left out was open the doors to me. So I had a lot more room to move around and we should have gotten in a lot more trouble. I should have turned left when I should have turned right. And there should have been paintings where, you know, Bob saw it and just said, no, that's, you know, that's not it. But we got really lucky, whatever you want to call it. We got in sync. We only had one cover that just wasn't, you know, that wasn't what was going on in the story at the specific time. And it was, I never knew this story until a couple of years ago when him and I were doing an interview together and he told the story. It's, it is Say Cheese and Die, which we've talked about earlier. What's depicted on the cover is a family full of, uh, a family of skeletons and it's a Polaroid picture and they're grilling outside and having a picnic, except that they're skeletons. Well, none of that happened in his story. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> None of it. So and when it got done, they they showed it to him. He's like, you know, this isn't, this isn't, I don't, I, there is no family. It's cool, but there is no family of skeletons. And they said, well, it's harder for Tim to change the painting than it is for you to change the story. So see what you can come up with. So, <laughs> so somewhere in the story, he said, all I can think of was doing the dream sequence. So there is a dream sequence in the story. And that's where the family of skeletons is introduced. So that was very much an after-the-fact addition to the story. That's a lot like the the, the old Marvel method at, at Marvel Comics back in the 60s and 70s, where they were just, you know, doing a synopsis and literally drawing a whole comic, and then somebody would just fill in the words after. 
Yes. That, yeah. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and there's got to, so, and I think what happened, it was mentioned to me once and it was, it didn't happen all the time. So don't make it think like all of a sudden I had way more influence than I had, but Bob trusted me as we moved down the road and he used to wait until he saw the final artwork and then he could see it and then take some of the details out of that final art and incorporate them into his writing. So, you know, it would be then again, we would have a a little better synchronicity. Yeah. A little, a little bit of collaboration. Right. That's, that's excellent. So I know things like commissions are probably much more of a concrete idea for you, Tim, but say when you're drawing for pleasure is the end product always the same as the image that you see when you start or does it sort of shift over time by the time getting to the painting part it's that's i know what i'm doing maybe early on i mean it it doesn't it's it's never changed from oh i'm doing a painting of a dragon and it becomes a vampire that that doesn't happen. I, I, I've never had that happen. Sometimes it's, I you know, I have this thing in my head and when I start to put it down, something else happens and the dragon is someplace else or the angle is different or I, I change it. And I work everything out in the early stages, composition, lights and darks, all that stuff. And then when I go to painting, it's all figured out. I may do very minor things where when I'm doing a traditional painting, I paint what's farthest away in the painting first, then I'll, you know, okay, so we're doing, let's say there's a mountain in the background. So I paint the whole mountain in as if nothing else is there. Then whatever's in the middle ground, that gets transferred on. And then I paint that area. And then I paint whatever in the foreground last. Now on my comp or drawing so while I'm doing this layering technique, I may go, yeah, I'm going to slide that over just a little bit to the right. It's going to, that's going to work better compositionally. So there'll maybe movements of things, you know, as, uh, as I transfer them down, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty hammered out by the time it gets there, but going all the way back to what you said, almost always, I can see it in my head, all the goosebumps, all the, and it's, it's become quicker that it's, than it used to be. Uh, in the old days, it was a lot foggier. And I would also veer away from things that I was afraid that maybe I couldn't draw or pull off. I don't have that fear as much. I've drawn so many things. And I tend to lean into those things now just because, you know, it's nice to be a little afraid and go, geez, I don't know. I never did that. I don't know. Can I pull this off? And that's the excitement because you can. Eventually you'll figure it all out. (laughs) Yeah. Some are harder than others, but you figure it out. How do you overcome that as an artist? Say you've been commissioned and perhaps the piece involves something or a piece of architecture or a body type or something you're just not familiar with drawing. How do you tackle that mid piece and overcome it and make it work? Again, it's just, (laughs) just keep pounding against it. (laughs) Eventually it's going to, it's going to work out. It always does. It may not be as perfect as what you had in mind, but you're going to make it work. And sometimes you have to stop and step away from it and go, all right, what's wrong here? And you may have to break that, you know, maybe it's the arm is not right. And you got to break it back down into that old school perspective and go, all right, it's a tube. There's, you know, what's the contour on this? Let me get this right. Something's not right here. And usually, you know, breaking it down and just not panicking. Don't panic. And 
and just know that you're going to work on it till it's done. Early on, there were times where I didn't sleep as much as I wanted to because <laughs> uh, it freaked me out. Because, again, you want to make sure you're turning in something good. Yes, luckily, never had a disaster, uh, you know, a spill or a fire or or anything where I wasn't able to get something done and get it in. You know, like I said, some of them were a little, little more arduous and a little rougher go at it, but for the most part, uh, they, they all went pretty smooth. And do you still work totally traditionally or do you do any digital work? So from when I got out of art school, I got out of art school in 80, 1981. From 81 until around 2005, that was all traditional, 100%. All the goosebumps, 100% traditional. At around that 2005 mark is when the business changed. You know, digital art was making a move, you know, at some point during the 90s, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't dominant. In the book business, there was an actual point in time where they said, okay, going forward, we need everything digital. And understandably so. It's so much easier getting things to press and you know, the, the taking, eliminating that step of, oh, now I have this physical painting and I got to take it to this specific person in New York City who can take the picture of it, who's going to do this really great job so that we can get good color separations out of it. So we, I switched over around that 2005 mark and it was not fun at the beginning. It was, it was terrible. But again, hit your head against it hard enough uh, and eventually it all comes around. I learned to like it because it opened up other avenues where I had been doing that traditional stuff for 20 plus years. I had a method, I had a style, but you know, you, I was, you could also call that a rut where then getting into that digital stuff kind of opened up a whole new avenue. And I, most of what I do now, unless it's a private commission and it's hanging on someone's wall, is digital. But I spent a whole lot of time on that digital art before I started to use it professionally because I wanted my digital art to look like my traditional art. I want you to look at anything that I've done now that's goosebump style and hold up a, a classic goosebumps and go, I can't tell the difference or, you know, or not have, have to really look close to be, you know, pick out that, oh, that's digital and that's tradition. So now it's fun. Now I flip flop back and forth when I can. When I have the opportunities, I like to do all of them, all, all my paintings, whether they're traditional or digital, are, start out as a sketch. It's hand drawn. And sometimes I spend more time drawing than others, but at some point it's hand done and then that gets scanned into the computer and then I'll do my rendering in there. All of them, whether they're digital or not, have a traditional feel to them because they are done with a pencil on paper. At some point there's, there's real hand drawn stuff. That's fascinating. So Tim, I'm going to assume based on your say cheese and die story that it was actually Scholastic that had the last say on the book covers and not RL himself. Right. So illustrators work with art directors, authors work with editors, art directors and editors talk to one another. So it was four steps away. RL was, you know, three full steps away. We had been doing goosebumps for years before we even met each other. <laughs> wow. so you, you would think, and, and it's fun. It's a funny misconception that you would think that illustrators and authors 
talk all the time or they would put you together or there would be this collaboration and it never happens. They keep you away from one another because they, you know, they don't want the author influencing the illustrator that the art directors and the editors, that's their, that's their genre. That's their niche. They're there in the middle to figure out what they want to do. So yeah, RL never had it. Like I submitted three sketches for every Goosebumps cover. He didn't get a chance to pick and go, Oh, I want number two. He, he didn't get a vote. Wow. He just got final art. I believe the book started in 92 and I think the TV show started in 95. So there was a time there when there was some crossover between both mediums. Now, did you ever do any work for the television show art wise or anything else? No, no. All I did was watch it like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like you did some art for the film with Jack Black. It looks like you I did. did the, I yeah. did. And that was, uh, over the years, there had been talk about a movie happening for Goosebumps. Uh, they, they, they talked about it in the 90s. They talked about it. They talked about it a number of times, but they, it never quite got going. So when they started talking about the one with Jack Black, I, I was like, well, this probably won't happen either. You know, they, you know, they, they didn't want to get hopes up. You know, at the beginning, it was like Jack Black, R.L. Stein. I know, uh, you know, I know R.L. Stein and this isn't, this isn't quite right. <laughs> and I got back in contact with Bob and he was going, yeah, you know, all the, you know, all the live stuff has been shot. So now they're going to, to do all the digital stuff and the, you know, the, the CGI. And so he goes, it'll be another year of that. It's like, wow, that's cool. I'm just hearing about this from the outside. Then it was the summer they were planning on a release in October and this was late in August. And, you know, so at this point I'm going up, ah, well, you know, I would have liked to have been part of this, but I understand movies and I do book covers. You know, I understand why I'm not part of this whole thing. I got a call, one of those calls where we want to have a conversation with you. You got to sign a bunch of papers before we can tell you anything, you know, mystery, mystery. And I swear to God, I'm going, I don't know what this could be about. Cause in my mind, the goosebumps thing was done. You know, like we were only, a, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks from, from release. So we sit down and we talk and they, they said, yeah, we're, you know, we're at the end of the movie, Jack Black morphs onto a Goosebumps cover and then it rolls to the credits. And we've been trying to put this Goosebumps book cover together and we can't quite figure it out. And, <laughs> you know, and we've been working on it and he said, yeah. And then one of the guys just says, uh, why don't we get the guy who actually did the covers to do it? <laughs> and, he, easy route. and they all kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, that's a good idea. So, <laughs> um, I got pulled in at the last minute, but it was a, it was a serious rush because a lot of time had been, you know, they had used up a lot of time trying to do it themselves. So yeah, I got the assignment and I had to do it over the holiday weekend and, and it got done. And then it was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is going to be in the movie. And again, all I know is I made a piece of art and that's all I know. So it gets done. And my son, uh, my son's name is Jack as well. He's, he's 22 now. So when you back it all up, he was a little too young for the goosebumps craze. I mean, he knew what they were, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big right. thing with him and his friends. And, you know, when your dad does something, it's not cool. You know, no matter, yeah, I mean, it's it was okay, but, you know, he was never thrilled about the whole thing. So when the movie came out, 
we got an opportunity, him and I, to fly out to California to go to a, a, one of the movie premieres, got a chance to meet Jack Black and got a chance to sit down and watch the movie in the in the movie theater for the first time. My part comes in at the end of the movie, right at the very end. While I'm at this event, I'm doing other stuff. You know, oh, come and meet these people. Mm-hmm. Here, we want you to sign these prints and come and get your picture taken. And, you know, there's other stuff going other, on other than me watching the movie. So I see 90% of the movie and it's coming to the end. And of course, they come and grab me and go, oh, you got to come back here. We need you to do this. So... <laughs> I get dragged out and I don't get the chance to see the part where my stuff is in it. And I was like, oh, all right, well, all that means is I got to go to the movies when I get home. My son, who loves to just torture me, comes out and he's like, where'd you go? You you missed it. And I was like, missed what? He goes, oh, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really cool. You should have saw it. I had to wait till I got home and my girlfriend and I went out and we sat in a movie theater at midnight and we got a chance to see the, the end sequence and, and see my artwork pop up on the screen. And I have to admit, it was very cool. Hey, man, a team full of Hollywood artists could not recreate your work. They had to come crawling to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could tell it that way. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little That's more dramatic. That that story. But I like that. You know, I, I didn't say it that way. <laughs> So what's your average time frame looking like on these covers? You mentioned that RL was pumping out pages left and right. So what are we talking about here? Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks tops? It was a, a one month cycle. We had to do, we had a delivery date. Everything happened on the same date of the month because the books had to be shipped and they had to be in the stores. You know, we were hitting that one month mark religiously for 10 years. We, we ended up doing that. So yeah, it was very locked stock and barrel but i also was doing other covers uh, at the time so i could do i could do four if i wasn't dropping the ball at any time once in a while there were five once we got to five that's when it got real dicey i did it once in a while but that was just you know something was happening either i wasn't getting enough sleep or maybe one of the pieces in there could have been a little bit better and but i ran out of time and so yeah about four books a month is what i was doing in in, in the heyday that's nuts that's, yeah you say I, it was, so casually but that's crazy <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny when you think about it now and I say it out loud, it does seem crazy. But at the time it was like, oh, yeah, this is what this is what we wanted all along. This is this is the game. And yeah, it was a it was a, a, an incredible run. It went on long enough to where you go, oh, this is never going to stop. And that's not a good thing to keep in your head either, because everything comes to a uh, to a stop eventually. Yeah, we had a, an amazing run. Again, I, I mention this almost every time I talk to people is I'm more surprised or thrilled or whatever word we can plug in there, happy about the fact that you know you guys still want to talk about this, that this is still something that's considered being cool. It's not. You know, it's not something that came and went. You don't roll your eyes and go, oh, yeah, that, that shit. Yeah, I used to, yeah, I remember when I, you know, I, but yeah. it was only cool back then where people still love it. That's something that, you know, has become a, a really cool thing. Because when you guys were reading the books, yeah, you were a little too young to hang out with and we couldn't talk about <laughs> details of anything. You know, you're, right. you're, you're, you're 10. 
So, you know, the fact that everybody's grown up now and you, you have, you know, specific memories and, and we can talk about, you know, stuff like we're talking about tonight where, well, this is how we did it. This is how we went about it. It's a, uh, that's a lot of fun. But yeah, you know, like Justin said, uh, the, the covers are what draw you in, especially when you're a kid. And I, I was a kid and both of us were kids in like the late nineties, I guess is really when we would have been reading this stuff. And it, it just hit that, that era so well, like it's still such a, a nostalgic thing for that era. And both of us write fiction now and we, we probably wouldn't have gone the route we did if we weren't into this stuff so heavily when, when we were kids. So, you know, I, I thank you for that because i mean you really i think you did something special with these books and 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 that's something that we we shouldn't gloss over and and we should hammer home here where this whatever it was the whole thing that went down inspired you guys to be creative and that's more important than almost anything the second tier down from that is a whole bunch of people kids mostly young boys learned how to read off of these books because there yes. wasn't anything cool for you know there were comic books but everybody was shunning those at school you know you you, you couldn't at least we couldn't bring them to school and all of a sudden now we got kids that you know who became good readers ferocious readers you guys have become writers and then there's a whole nother subgroup who love the art and have become artists as well so the creative aspect and the you know the passing of knowledge or whatever we want to call it here is a, a, an incredible side thing, which is really more important than the whole thing. Tim, while we're on the subject, who are some of the artists that inspired you? So you talked about it earlier where my, where it really started to hit home was, yeah, I'm in my, you know, I'm in my mid teens and I work my ass off and I spent more money on my stereo than I spent on my car and I was buying and I was buying albums and my father's just shaking his head going I I don't understand this at all and you know that artwork on that 12 by 12 format those were the those were the killer illustrators and there was so many different styles going on but the one guy who who stood out to me well there was a couple that one of the the main influences was a guy named roger dean roger dean did the album covers for a band called yes he did it okay for, yeah and and uriah heap and a couple yeah of yeah Fuck yeah his, his his stuff just blew my mind and I spent hours just staring at his stuff and uh, it had a, a huge influence on just the idea the idea that so when uh, when I was first learning to draw it was you know I'm trying to recreate something that's right there you know okay there's the you know there's the there's the apple and the banana in the bowl and I needed to get it to look exactly like it is there in real life and it was Roger Dean's work that made me go, oh, he went all the way past that. He's seeing stuff that doesn't exist. That's the cool part of this. Anybody can make something that's right there in front of you. I need to show people stuff that they can't see anywhere else, that this painting, this window is going to take you on a trip somewhere that it only happens right here. 
So that was the that was the real that was the real catalyst. That's that's beautiful. I, th- I feel like that's a sort of a theme that we see a lot when we interview folk. The idea that you want to create something that you can't see anywhere else. And I think as, as speculative speculative media enthusiasts, that's sort of our our whole idea too. And I mean the the cover to Demons and Wizards from Uriah Heap is one of my favorite album covers ever. So like, who wants to who wants to paint a fucking apple after you see that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he also that that particular cover is go back and take a second look at it because what's cool about it is he did a lot of Roger Dean did a lot of you know pouring paint and taking paint and floating it in water and then sticking his canvases on it. So there's these incredible mosaic backgrounds that happened completely by accident. And then he would just spend time staring at them and go, all right, that's looks like a rock. I'm going to make that a rock and that's going to be a waterfall. And the demon's going to be sitting right up on the edge there, but there's a free form, you know, total art aspect to it where I don't know what's going to happen when I stick this, this thing into the pool and the paint sticks to it, but we're going to use that going forward. So I've tried that method. It's fun in private commissions, but it's it's way too dicey to pull off <laughs> in a commercial job because right. you can dip those things 40 times and come up with nothing. <laughs> nothing but mud. I've got that gatefold in my living room, so that's where I'm headed after this interview. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Check it out. <laughs> Tim, in your bio on your website, it said that you've always wanted to work on a Stephen King novel since you uh, started in the industry. Well, you did get that opportunity eventually. How did it come about? Right. When we were in art school, uh, I went to a very small art school in Hillsboro, New Jersey, downstairs to a doctor's office, 20 of us in the graduating class. 60 of us in the whole school, but it was run by working artists. So that was one of the prerequisites is every teacher had to be a working artist and they weren't at the school, you know, five days a week. They would only be there on Wednesdays and the rest of the week they were doing their job and they would bring in jobs that they were working on and show us. And we had people from across the spectrum of art styles and subject matter and age and genre. And we saw we were exposed to so much different stuff. And it was it was great because most of the people that I went to art school with are still in the art business and none of us are doing the same thing. Every one of us is doing something unique. Every one of us got something from a specific teacher that really hit hit home and, and got us to move on. But the Stephen King thing, so there was no bigger name than Stephen King in the you know in the late 80s and into the early 90s. People were just authors yeah, were just becoming yeah, and the authors were just becoming showcase people themselves. And Stephen King was you know, prolific there at that point. And he's just pumping this stuff out. And it it was mind blowing to most people to, to me as well. That was the only name you kind of knew. It was like, yeah, I want to be in a Stephen King cover only because he's the name I can think of. He's the only guy I know. And when I say it, you know it. And, <laughs> and you know, every, you know, 
scary, creative, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I, I would love to do this. So yeah, it was many years later, they were repackaging a couple of Stephen King's greatest hits into a hardback book. Yeah, I got the opportunity to do the cover and uh, also took the opportunity. It, it was, so uh, it's the one in front of the, I believe in front of the hotel, the guy in the Yeah, uh, the, the one where uh, Jack Nicholson is the... Uh, Shining. The Shining. Yeah, thank you. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can edit that out, right? Yeah, uh, we anyway, got you. I got uh, your back. We got it. <laughs> yeah. So it's The Shining. The guy's out front of the, the, the house and it's snowing heavily and it's that low view. And I wanted to show that, you know, his hands were all bloody. And that was the idea that it was snow and white and you would see the blood. And when I went to turn in the sketch and I did it in pencil, it didn't work. Like I, I couldn't draw the attention to the hand. So all I did was take out some red paint and I painted on the sketch the red hands and I turned it in. So then it was really vivid what was going on. But when they saw it, they were going, yeah, we don't want we don't want that saturated color you usually do. We want a totally neutral painting with just those hands in red. And it turned into a really great piece. It's just black and white with just the red of the blood uh, on there. And I ended up posing for that one myself. So not only did I paint it, I'm on the Stephen King cover, too. So. I, I doubly I doubled down. You got to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're only gonna get one <laughs> shot. So squeeze what you can out of it. So all things considered, what would you say is the most challenging piece that you've had to complete? Okay, you're not it's it's a I don't even know if you can find it. It was the very first job that I got. It was for Dell Books. It was a book called The Great Thirst. And it was an African wildlife painting. I don't know shit about wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to do this piece. And I worked with this guy named Jerry. He was the greatest, sweetest guy. He, I know he was very instrumental in people finding out who I was. Anyway, so do some sketches. He goes, all right, go to the final painting. This was a wraparound book cover. And every time I brought it in, he's like, yeah, that's, that's really looking good. But I think we need some more animals in there. <laughs> I, I would take it home and jam six more in and I bring it in and go, yeah, oh, wow, man, this is so good. Think we could get a couple more in there, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I worked on this painting for, I'll bet you, six months. It just, and going in and out of the city. And when we got done, it was a, it was a cool piece, but the amount of time and effort, I remember early on. So, like I said, now we're six months in. I put in, I don't know how many hours, you know, it, it lost track. It's countless hours. And I'm going, how am I ever going to make a living at this? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be doing two paintings a year. This isn't, and you know, this isn't going to cut it. This isn't going to cut it. That was one that stands out as very long, very arduous. Again, no timeline on it. So the, the, that's the thing that always saves you in a, 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 a book job is there is a finite deadline. You know, at some point, everybody's got to stop, you know, whether, you know, like we all have, we can make changes and we can do what we want, but shit's got to get done. And, you know, so there is a point, no matter how bad it seems it is, it's going to stop, you know, and they can only delay it for so long. 
Yeah, I can't find that book cover anywhere. I just searched yeah. and searched on Google for it. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it is ancient. It is ancient. Uh, it, it, yeah, um, sadly, I'll remember who the author was, which would probably be an easier search. And if you found something, it would be a thumbnail. And Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wouldn't do it justice Maybe anyway. The thing. No, no. There's a lot of animals on there. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what advice would you give to the young art student out there trying to make their own way? I try to say this all the time. It's a couple of things. There's a couple of points in here. One, look at look at your art a little differently, or maybe you already look at it that way. This way, is it's it's not it's not joyous all the time. It's not something that. So when you first start to learn how to to draw, and you use drawing and art as an escape, and it's always fun because you're escaping everything else. But when you start to do it a lot. There's more of a there's more of an effort that goes into it because you got to start doing it when you may not be thrilled about having to do it. And if you start to look at it more like I'm going to use the, you know, the sports or gym analysis where I got to go, I got to do, I got to do my sit-ups today and I got to get them in because I'm going to feel better when they're done and I'm going to get stronger as I do this stuff. And the stronger I get, the better I'm going to be at this whole thing. So when you start to look at it that way, you're going to sit down more, you're going to make sure you continue to sit there because everybody has distractions. And sadly, there's the internet's a great thing. Social media, great thing. I can do something and get so many people's eyes on it now, but all those things are distractions and you can, you're one click away from a world of distractions yep. and you got to be able to stay focused as much as you can. So spend some time on it. Second thing is, and this is something that, you know, this is just my perspective. So I started drawing just because it was fun. I found out way late in my life that I could maybe do this as a career. It took off real well. And I've been very lucky and I've done a lot of book covers, but I've always looked at it as, well, what if it didn't work out like that? And I think the only difference would be I would probably still be doing art now. Nobody would know who I am and I would have done just less, but I would still be doing this. So don't put too much emphasis on how rich you're going to get from this stuff. That's not what this is about. It's, it's never about the money. It's about how much fun it is for you. And it will always be fun. And this stuff still is fun for me. And I've done hundreds of them. And I still feel that fun part and that thrill every single time. Um, it's great that people will look at more of my stuff now. That's fun. But again, if everybody went away, I'd still be doing this. So do it because you like it and do the stuff that you like. Don't, don't, you know, don't do romance novels if you hate romance novels only because you think, well, I, I can, you know, I can, I'll get rich doing that. Yeah, that's just, that's no way to approach your art. Now, we all had to do that little end around at the beginning where if, you know, if you guys are writers and, you know, you got something big going on over here, but somebody says, hey, can you write me a commercial? You're going to write them a commercial, you know, because this money over here will support this money over here. So exactly. I, you know, I did illustrations of things I wasn't too thrilled about either, but, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's, it's all good and you can still, 
they're still fun and there's still a lot that can be learned even from those jobs that may not thrill you to death. And uh, you'll actually learn, you know, you'll learn a couple of things. You'll learn a lot about yourself. And I like when I'm told what to do, especially when I don't like what it is, because now I'm going, all right, I would never do this. Now make this something that when it's done, we all like. And that's a, that's a, that's a good challenge. That's a good challenge for everyone. So I guess I've kind of went all over the place. I don't know. I don't know if I gave anybody any information. That's a fantastic answer. (laughs) So are there, obviously, you know, you're, you're primarily a commercial artist, but are there any personal projects you've done or anything that started, but didn't get off the ground or anything personal that you'd like to accomplish art wise? I'm still at a point where I can't, I, I will do all, I do most of what comes my way. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I'll schedule everything real tight. I need the perpetual motion. I have never gotten so wealthy that I have this backup in the bank. And, you know, I need to just, it, it all just has to keep churning along. It would be nice to be able to step back and do things just for the sake of doing them. And then, so the way it works right now is I know I'm getting paid before I start the job. Like we've already made arrangements. I told you what it's going to cost. You told me what you want. And I told you that I'm going to do your job the third week in June. And that's the way it goes down. So I always know it's going to happen where it would be nice to do some more experimental projects where I do it. And then I put it out there and go, Hey, does anybody want this? Mm-hmm. And it sells when it sells and have that opportunity to do more stuff like that. I started doing something, you know, some things like that uh, a couple of years ago. And when I can do them, I started doing big oversized pieces, two foot by seven foot, again, black and white, because everybody sees the color stuff all the time. And they're a, they're a blast to do. And I stand up, they're all traditional because they're big, you know, there's not that small brush stuff that I, I did on all the, the goosebump stuff. It's big brushes, standing, lots of arm movement. Like it's a whole, it's a whole different body thing. I like that. That's fun. And maybe in the future, I'll get a chance to do more of those. Yeah. Tim, I wanted to ask you if you have a personal favorite in Goosebumps cover and what is your favorite piece of art in general that you've worked on, not just Goosebumps? I'll, I'll do the I'll do my own art one first. So I did a bunch of these weird psychology books in the in the late 90s, you know, philosophy, psychology and, and the pseudo religion. So they were always, you know, little trippy looking things. And, you know, you would combine a bunch of ideas together. And there's one here that's, you know, it's a, it's a butterfly, but then it turns into a blueprint, you know, so I had, I had a whole bunch of these things and I submitted lots of different ideas. So I had these three ideas that I liked that didn't, you know, that were rejects. But I was like, yeah, those are going to be cool. Someday I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have some time and I'm going to do something with these three things. And I always thought that they would be three separate things. Anyway, I got an opportunity to do them. It And I ended up taking all the ideas and putting them together in one piece. It's a landscape piece and you can probably find it. It's called Sea Flight. It's a desert, but it's underwater. It's on the earth, but you're in outer space. 
and there's some flying uh, killer whales in it. And uh, that's a piece that is a decent size. It's uh, 24 by, it's 36 by 24 and it hangs over my bed in my bedroom. Really like the piece because it was just a, just a bunch of random things that came together. And when they came together, they worked really. As far as the Goosebumps ones go, it changes a lot. There's times that I have certain pieces that I really like, and then I rediscover other pieces because there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> one that always rises to the top, there's ones that are popular. And that's cool. And, you know, people, you know, know the Haunted Mask and they know Slappy and they know, you know, Horrorland. These are, you know, these are ones that come up often. But one that I really like, it has all the elements that I liked in a Goosebumps cover. And it was scary. And just the overall impact was really there was the Curse of Camp Cold Lake. That's and, a good one. Yeah, just the, the straight on. You know, the half underwater, half out of the water, the, the wet hair, the, you know, the, but all the colors are still there. And I also liked the reflection in the water. If I couldn't pull off the reflection, then that wouldn't have been a very impactful piece. Yeah, that's one that, uh, that's one I like a lot. I would say that's one of the more unsettling covers for, exactly. for a children's series. Yeah, exactly. so that's definitely towing yep. that line. It's, it's not, it's not the typical you know, it's not the typical one. It's not, it doesn't have the humor element in it, but it's just one that stands out that, uh, that I like. You guys can interview me tomorrow and I'm going to tell you something different. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, we're not going to keep you all night here, but I have to ask, since it is the nature of the podcast, I know you said you weren't the biggest horror fan growing up, but if you had to choose, what is your favorite horror movie? And if you don't have any, what are your favorite movies in general? So I, I, I don't watch a lot of horror movies. The one that killed me was when I was a kid, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the original one, the one that's in black and white. Mm-hmm. That Ron freaked me, yeah, that freaked me out. That I, I can't tell you how much of an impact that made because it had that, that, the, that dual element of the Hunchback was grotesque person but you felt for him. So you were always fighting both sides of it. He's doing shit like dumping hot lead off the top of the building, but you feel bad for him. And that, that's, a, that's a great sign in any horror or a movie is when you have those conflicting, those conflicting emotions. So right. that, was, that was one that really made an impact on me. Tim, what else do you have on the horizon? Anything in the pipeline? And where can folks find you? We're always we're always doing stuff. There's going to be um, there's finally cons again, so comic conventions are starting back up, and I'm going to be doing five this year, uh, in multiple locations. Everything can be found on JacobusStudios.com. The other thing that I I do like to mention is you can get some Goosebumps prints signed up on that same website but the cool part about that is the prints run about $25 $10 from every sale goes to the purchase of food we then get the food my son and I do it's delivered here we load it in the truck and then we drive it down to the food bank so not only are you getting a nice goosebumps signed print you're also doing something good that's a great cause I'm gonna go buy some prints absolutely me too 
Let me. Can you let me share my screen, uh, Justin? I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Permission. I think I found the. I think I found the animal cover. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> is this it? I don't see anything. Oh, that is it. There it is. That All is right. It. You are correct. That is, that is a lot of animals. <laughs> and, and you're only looking at the front cover. It does wrap around, and there's a bunch more on the back, but very. that's a find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, this is the uh, the piece that you were just talking about, correct? Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah, that's an excellent oh, piece. Wow. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I like the, the, the part that I, that I had uh, – imagine is that part up in the top in the upper right where you have the patterns of the dunes but they are exactly the same way that wave patterns are formed and having having it blend from one to the other uh i it's something i wanted to do in a painting and this just it lent itself to it like this is aching to be an album cover yeah (laughs) for sure for sure some psychedelic album Well, Tim, like I said, we're not going to keep you all night, man. We could talk to you till midnight. Hopefully, we'll see you at a con in the future. There you go. You have a great night, yes. man. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. I, I enjoyed it. You guys run a good podcast, and uh, you guys are easy to talk to. Thanks, man. That that means a lot. That's why we do it. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. You bet. Bye-bye now. All right. You take care. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.